Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Heather Perello is currently working with retired Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine's unbeatable mind team, providing an integrated holistic approach to self-mastery and leadership development. She is a multifaceted visionary senior executive coach, trainer, facilitator, and motivational speaker with a solid track record of leading individuals, teams, and companies to their stated goals. She is on a personal mission to show others that anything is possible when you tap into your true self and unleash your full potential. It is never too late to manifest your dreams into reality. Heather, I love that mission statement. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I got introduced to you by our mutual friend, Robert Sykes, the Keto Savage, Live Savage. And I know that you're a fan of his bars as well as I am. Are you a low-carb athlete as well? Currently, no. But when I'm not training for this event, very much so, yes. Beautiful. He's the one that actually put me on that path. He came to one of my events three years ago now. And I'd always heard about the low-carb idea it seemed like it was witch doctors or something like that. But then once I actually tried it, he took me through a lot of the protocols. The inflammation in my body went down. My body fat level went down. My muscle went up. And I was like, all right, I wish I had known about this about 40 years ago. But it is what it is. Yeah. No, it is absolutely incredible lifestyle. And what he provides in the simplicity, I'm always about, let's keep it simple. Let's keep it convenient. And he provides that to so many. That's fantastic. Awesome product. Awesome guy. <laughs> and you were on his podcast. I loved your interview there. I loved your spirit. I love what you stand for. We were talking about this before we were recording. I'd like to just open with that mentality of the warrior spirit. And you even mentioned how sometimes females felt that if I'm a female, I can't have this masculine energy, this capacity to defend myself or how some men are empowered by you simply because they see this woman, this weaker gender doing something incredible. And we'll get into what Kokoro is and what your path has been with that. But can you speak to us a little bit about what that warrior spirit is and why it's so important for us to cultivate that now, especially in today's day and age? Yeah, absolutely. So the warrior spirit, I mean, that is you being fully unleashed into this world. And so often we live with all of these internal and external constraints that prevent us from authentically living right? Label woman. Well, what does that mean? Who gets to say? Label man, label... There's all these labels, these roles and identities that can empower us, but my experience is they often limit us. And the same is true with all these beautiful conversations going on in our head about who I am and who I'm not. No. So when I really went down this path last year, 
I said the goal was to live inside out, that there was going to be no internal or external constraints to prevent me from manifesting my soul into this world. And then I found out what that meant. We can't be limited in this day and age. We have to have access to all ways of being and doing to live our purpose and to live powerfully. We can't say, oh, I can't be aggressive. No, you may need to be aggressive in that situation to lead and serve your purpose. And then you might also need to be the loving, nurturing mother in this scenario. But you can't be prevented. You just have to know what you're committed to and then how you're going to show up. You have to live intentionally. I love there's four things that we truly can control. It's our psychology, our physiology, our intention, and our intention. And when you're clear what your purpose is, then every single day, you just have to ask yourself, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? Period. And you just stay in alignment with that. And when you know, you know, you have this feeling when you are aligned with that or when you're off, you you know, when you're in tune, it's great because you can self-correct. But very few people do the inner work to find out what that is or don't think it's possible for them, but it's possible. Anything's possible, right? When you know. If you're willing to do the work, absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about your life growing up and you didn't just appear as this person that we see before us right now. There was a lot of fire that you had to walk through, but what led you kind of on this path? And then we'll start unpacking some of the other things that I know that everybody's probably chomping at the best to learn more about. Yeah. So the childhood was not easy. There was no safety. There was no financial security. There was child abuse. There was illness. There was bankruptcy. (laughs) There was a lot of not so pleasant situations. And all I knew is that I needed to perform. I needed to perform to find a way out. So academic excellence was my only way. And the illness that came into play before I went to high school was was awful. Was this illness around you or was it your own? At the age of 11, I just got sick and it took two years for them to finally come up with the diagnosis. And it was fibromyalgia, which was way back when nobody knew of that and whatnot, but it was painful. That's when I knew that this had to serve some purpose. And I had an aunt who said, just remember, God will never be more than you can handle. And so I stopped knocking at my door, but I was like, okay, okay. I have the capacity. So I always took on, I have the capacity to endure what others can't. And I knew I wanted to make a difference in this world. I knew that I needed to be a, a voice for those who were unable or unwilling to speak for themselves. And law and politics was the path at that point. And so that was my only goal and focus was to do whatever it took to college and get into law and politics. Because in my mind, that was the way to make money, to take care of my family and to make a difference. And so the savior is who I became at that point. 
And then when I was in law and politics, I realized, yeah, that wasn't the place for me. It wasn't the biggest way to make a difference. So I'm going to go through this quickly, but that is truly when that inner work began. I did everything I was supposed to do, and yet I wasn't in the right place. Became a mom, and of course that was beautiful, but there was still this, you need to make a purpose. You've got to make a difference. Somehow I found myself in the fitness industry because I had lost a hundred pounds, but oh, that's the way to make a difference as a young mother with two children. That led to me a few years later, becoming the chief people officer of a large restaurant group in Texas at 600 female employees. And that's really when I got into leadership development. It was part of my role. And then after that, I became the CEO of a hospitality firm here in Florida. So this wild ride, I just kept leaping, right? Because something kept pulling me down. No, this isn't it. No, this isn't it. And in that time when I was with the restaurant group and with the hospitality group in Florida, I was invited to start facilitating at leadership academies around the world. So again, personal development of others, training others, leadership academies, developing elite teams just became like, ah, that's what I'm meant to do. And I meant to do this on a very large level, but there was always like, how do I reach more people? So that is 45 years, very, very quickly. Lots of adversities, lots of winding turns along the way. And here I am, which is really like, how the heck did I get here? Except now I can look back and say, wow, I understand why every conversation, every experience, every challenge led me exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, it's very difficult to see the gift in adversity when we're in the heat of it. It's hard to be objective and detach ourselves because I always say the emotions of the situation assassinate the truth because we can't really see what's truly going on. And you were discussing, to touch back on, you are talking about your childhood. There are some people that go through an upbringing like that and that stagnates their development. It arrests them and they just live this very docile life of quiet desperation What is it that makes one person catapult themselves and another person stay in that place where they're afraid, where they're a victim? And because that's not what you did, you use that as a potential to push yourself forward. So now I can say what I took on early on, I could either say, woe is me or wow is me. The language now is I just took on a different perspective. I took on the mindset that nothing was ever personal. Anything that ever happened to me wasn't personal. And there was just a place of empathy knowing that I just happened to be in a situation because others didn't have the capacity to parent, maybe the way that I would choose to parent. And really at this point, it's like, well, what other option is there? You know, like anything that is a challenge that hurts, you can either grow from it or you can succumb to it. I also went to high school. (laughs) Our motto was actions and words. So it was always like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I got that my life looks the way it looks because I am having it go that way. I have the choice. And so if I took on everything, was the results are the results are because I'm doing or not doing, what are you going to do? Like, And so that extreme ownership before that was a catchy phrase, Like, I really got that. I had to own all the results of my life. I could blame somebody, but it certainly didn't help me at all. So all there was to do was take action. 
If I didn't like something, there was no complaining. All I knew is I was committed to something so much bigger. It's so hard to do that sometimes if we don't have that personal knowledge, that self-knowledge, because there's some people that will put faith in something exterior of them, which is fine. But in the end, it comes to that self-belief, that self-knowledge, and that comes from pushing ourselves into adversity, whether it be an uncomfortable conversation, reflecting on ourselves, and really looking at the things about us that maybe we're not proud of. And of course, the physicality. I think when you were talking to Robert, you both expanded on that idea of the people that we see that are very successful. There's a lot of physicality within them because that bleeds over so easily into every other arena in your life. If you have the discipline to train, you're training five hours a day for what you have upcoming in a few days. And the mentality has to be there. And again, that's that idea of it's a marathon and it's a sprint. It's a marathon of sprints in many ways. And we have to be willing to put in that work consistently. Yeah. I was having this conversation earlier. You've got to know why. (laughs) You've got to know why. Because then everything we do every single day has a purpose. So is training five hours a day easy? No. Is it painful at times? Yes, absolutely. So what do you need to do? Well, pain is just evidence of commitment. Boom. Mindset change. I have people counting on me. It's not about me. I know how to use my breath. I know how to use visualization. I know how to use positive self-talk, right? So all of that plays into what I need to do every day to serve this purpose. That's not about me, right? If it was about me, there's no way I could do this, but it's about so many more people. So that discipline, that drive, Man, when it's a big dream, when it's a big challenge, it has to be powerful. It has to be. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. It's a short period of time. But those really big dreams that are worthwhile, it takes a lot. Well, in that having the why is powerful, but it comes again to that self-knowledge. There's so many people that are chasing someone else's why that are thinking, as you were saying, with this exterior expectations from people, go to school, do this, blah, 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 so that you can be successful. But again, if our idea of success is different than that, then we can never reach this place where we feel that satisfaction or fulfillment. And I also like what you were saying before about in the situation that you were in when you were younger, there was no other choice. And when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. It's about moving forward. It's about executing. It's about making that happen. And it isn't always easy, but Cabral Cabron says, from the greatest of suffering have emerged the strongest of souls. I couldn't agree with that more because that adversity forces us to really understand, am I committed to this? Am I interested or am I committed? The coaching language, right? Are you interested or are you committed? And when your motivation is gone and when all these other things are gone, your will to commitment is what's going to make you push on. And even then, the people that are burning out it's because they don't have the correct why, because that's not sustainable. And the people, when I talk to a CEO and he's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, or I don't know if I can keep pushing, or they'll ask you as a performance coach, how do I push harder? That's not the question. The question should be, are you doing it for the right reason? Because if you are doing it for the right reason, you will always find an additional level. But if you don't, there's a top if you don't. Yeah, 100%. You know, when you're in alignment, with your true calling, because there's no amount of work that you don't smile. The journey is so joyful, 
right? It's like people have to say, okay, turn it off, but you can't wait to do it. You jump out of bed, you know, it's something else. So you work harder than ever, but with a smile on your face, knowing that it's the right place. So that success, it's not money. (laughs) It's not title. It's not degrees. No, it is fully living authentically. Like that's what I just call freedom. Like you just know. And then what's so interesting is that you need nothing. Possessions don't matter. They don't bring me joy. No, 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 no. Just let me fully live. Let me have conversations. Let me go train. Let me just make a difference in someone's life. That's all it's about every single day. And for some people that are listening, it may sound like pie in the sky kind of idea. And they may be saying, okay, that's great for you to say, or great for you to say, Marcus, because you guys have, I'm 49, I'm not a young guy. I've gone through a lot of stuff in my life to figure out what that is. To a person who's maybe right out of high school or in college or not sure if they should continue college or not sure if they want to go into college, do you have some simple steps that could give them an idea of how to find that direction to find out what it is that they want? Because a lot of people will say, this is the three simple steps or they make it sound like you do this and then this, and then this is the the result, but it's more of a direction. Like I want to go in this general direction. And then when I truly commit to that, and I truly try to find this mastery in this area, then it leads to this other place or then this other niche. And now we start having these things that really resonate and kind of get our attention. I love that question. So I had the privilege of basically mentoring hundreds of young men and women between the ages of 18 to 24. And I would always say I was probably their parents' worst nightmare because I was always coaching them to listen, to listen to what it is. I I shared the journey of my careers along the way. There was a common theme. It was people. How do I impact the lives of people? And I was willing to keep leaving positions because I listened knowing it just wasn't the right fit or the company I worked for, we weren't aligned with our values and commitments. Or maybe I thought the companies I worked for were because of what the mission statement said, but then the leaders didn't embody what they said. And so it was an iterative process And it will always be an iterative process. I'm learning more every single day. So while the position is what it is now, I can guarantee you in 10 years from now, the position will be different, whatever this title is, but I'll still be serving people. I will still be inspiring them to live the life they love and they were called to live. And so the invitation to just practice and play and explore on the field. Get out of your head. Stop trying to know and experience life through actions. You don't know unless you actually are willing to do the work. You've got to do the work. I'm so tired of listening to coaches or authors who know a lot. Show me your life. Unless you show me you've done the work, I don't care what you think. It's one of the issues with leadership courses and universities and really all around the world. It's like, great, let me see, put it to the field and, and let's test it out. And that's why with Unbeatable Mind, it's like, ah, finally, 
leaders who use everything they share. And I can trust and have confidence in what we're sharing with our clients and the world because it is what was used and required to save lives. It's like, I trust you, old and new. And for any of us to think that what we share is new, forget it. <laughs> Everything, breathing practices, it's, it's just how do you package it and use it in a way that it can be applied to any human being, right? Because I think we all, well, I can speak for myself. I always just wanted to know how. I was like, I will do anything. Just show me how, whether it was nutrition and fitness, just show me, I'll do it. And then people have this hope that this coach is going to work or this, you know, just tell me, I'll, I'll do anything. And so you have so many people who are disheartened and disillusioned. And so to finally say like, oh, this is what it looks like to live an empowered life. Let me show you what to do. But make no mistake, there's no easy way, there's no magic pill to live fully takes work. It takes discipline. It takes it takes everything. It takes drive. It takes team. It takes all those things. And there's so many people in leadership that they say, telling my people this, but people don't do what you say. They do what you do. If there's a discrepancy there, it's obvious to them. And that's from the very top. So if they see that you're asking them to hold this standard, have this metric, et cetera, and you're not doing it, then automatically that to them, your actions are lies. They're fake. And so anything that you say from there on out is tainted. Or as you say, this is the standard and you're not holding it every time that word comes out, that's going to have a negative connotation attached to it. So now they're like, oh, is it a standard? Like when you couldn't make it to the meeting on Friday for this, whatever the heck that was supposed to be so important. And we see that. That's it. Yeah, no trust, no no team. I used to always coach my employees. It's like, these are our commitments. And I trust that everyone wants to play this game. And when you look to your right and your left, but most importantly, when you look up, you want to make sure that everyone's also honoring those commitments. And as your leader, hold me to account, right? And so, but it's, it's rare. It's so rare that the leadership actually embodies what they preach. Well, I think a lot of that comes back to, you were mentioning earlier how so many people will sort of, they'll be great authors, but they're not actually putting it into practice. In today's day and age, it seems like there is this consumption mentality. And all these people are like, do you have a book recommendation? Do you have a podcast? Do you have a course recommendation? It's like, I could tell you a bunch of things, but what I would tell everybody, especially if it's a younger person who's trying to find their way, understand that you probably already have an idea. You probably don't need more right now. You probably need to cut away all that bullshit that's clouding your voice, your spirit, your idea, and just say, what do you really know? What should you be acting on? You'll have people that have stacks of books. They want to impress you. I read this many books. Tell me three things you learned from that last book. It was really good. And then it's like, okay, if they can't give me three things, are you putting those three things into play every day? Are you putting it into your physicality, your emotion, your spirituality, your diet, your relationships? Because if that's the case and they really look at that, that's why there's so much that they want it to be sexy. They want it to be exotic because that to them is a way to just keep them distracted from actually doing the work. But the work is repetitive. The work is difficult. The work is consistent. And it has to be because that's what weeds out the people that shouldn't be doing that work wherever your work may be. It's so true. I don't want to know what you know. It doesn't impress me. I just, 
How's it impacting your life? That's all I want to know. Like, how are you using it? How does it change the way you view yourself or others? How does it allow you to make a difference? I don't want to know what you know, but so many people are just so consumed with looking good and being right. They just want to share what they know. Okay, congratulations. You win. (laughs) I'm going to go run a marathon or whatever. So there's that. And there was something else you said, but it, it slipped my mind where I was going to riff off of. But yeah, it is. Oh, it's the daily. You never get to stop doing the daily practices. Like that work never stops. One of my favorite conversations I've had in this past year with Commander Mark Divine, he shared a story about one of his martial art instructors who he'd been with for 20 years. And he told the students, tomorrow, I'm going to tell you the magic answer, something of that nature. And so the students gather and he said, do you want, know, want to know the key? And he went back to this. It's like, it was like some basic move. Just that's it. You never get to stop practicing the basics. And so the pillars, everyone has what's very important, whether it's breath work or meditation, sleep, nutrition, movement, nature, all the simple things. But I keep saying, not easy unless you know the impact they have on your life by doing them. But it's not like, oh, yeah, I don't need structure. No, no, we all need structure. And another thing is like working alongside these elite athletes, when you train next to them and you see them sweat, you're like, oh, (laughs) it doesn't get easier. And somehow once that myth went away, it became easy to do the work. You're like, oh, they're human too. We're all human. And what has us connect is our commitment. Okay, so I can do anything as long as I have that level of commitment. That's what it looks like. So when I sought out to be a Navy SEAL, I was like, what do they do? What do they know? Oh, that's what they do. Oh, that's what they know. Okay, well, I can do that. And oh, it requires pain and effort. Okay. Yeah, but when I saw them sweat doing burpees, I was like, oh, I thought it was just easy for them to knock out a thousand. (laughs) No, it's not. Oh, you mean you don't like to train some days too? Oh, but you do it anyways. Oh, okay. All these excuses that other people have, like it's easy for us to go to work and do what we do. It's just, it's not. It's not, but like you said, it's easier for me to put somebody on a pedestal and say, oh, well, that is Heather. That's David Goggins. That's Mark Devine. And that is the reality. And every single day, even if you overcome it, you got to do it tomorrow. The moment that you realize that it doesn't stop and it doesn't get easier, that's what makes it easier. You're like, well, this is just part of it. And if when I was in the military, when I was in infantry school, they would smoke us with burpees or whatever it was. And I was 38 when I got in, but I had guys that were like half my age next to me. I would let go of all the resistance in my mind. I wouldn't tell myself, God, I'm tired. God, I'm thirsty. God, we haven't got any food. This sucks. I don't want to do this, but I could hear it in the grunts and the way these guys are like cussing under their breath about that. And they're literally putting the brakes on themselves when they could be just continuing to go with that momentum built from that. And that's what my secret was. It was like, I'm just handing my mind and my body over to this person who's making us do this stuff. And then I became, we call it fireproof because you can't smoke that person. Because now you have that ability. It's like, whatever has to be done, I can do it. I will do it. But when I try to resist it, 
that's when I'm actually wasting energy. It's futile. 100%. Okay. So I have to go back because you mentioned my name in the same sentence with Goggins and Mark Devine. So Goggins, I read that book in October of 2019. And I read it and I said, that's me. And I've had this conversation with someone and she asked me, what is it about you that when you read something like that, it makes you want to become a Navy SEAL at the age of 45? Where I just went, that's crazy. And I said, because I believe, I believe that it's there within me. And with anything that we're committed to, you have to believe it. So that was so huge. And to think that in the course of a year and a half since I read that book, but only a year since I started this journey for Kokoro, that my name within the team is Taker, which is Goggins too. I was like, oh my gosh, because what I didn't share with you is that when I started this, I was broken. When I became a CEO of the company, I did everything I coached everyone else not to do. And that was sacrifice everything to ensure the success of the company and my employees, 40 pounds overweight. Just nutrition was awful because I was just trying to stay awake. I couldn't do a push-up. It had been 15 years since I had been in the fitness industry. I was emotionally and physically broken. And so when I told people, I'm going to do this event. They're like, you're crazy. (laughs) You're crazy. I was like, no, I know what's in there. And once you know, I can't imagine not doing what's required to at least seeing a lifetime of regrets. No way. So for me, once I have that, that, whatever it is, that little voice in my head or in my gut, there I went. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> That's it. When I was injured, when I was paralyzed from the neck down, I was told I would never walk again. And so at 40 years old, that regret that you're talking about, it made everything crystal clear. It made me realize like all the stuff that used to be important wasn't important anymore. And all the stuff that I thought that I was really working towards, I wasn't working towards. I was doing a bunch of stuff that I didn't want to do for other people or what I thought other people expected of me. And in the end, the damnable shame of it was I felt like I did all that for naught. So when I was able to recover and when I had this second chance, that's why I attack what I do now with the same velocity that I would anything as if it were my last opportunity because we never know when it is. That was part one of my interview with Heather Perillo, a multifaceted visionary and turnaround artist with a solid track record of leading individuals, teams, and companies to their stated goals. In part two, Heather returns to discuss why she chose to participate in SealFit's rigorous 55-hour Hell Week simulation, Kokoro, and why she decided to attend a second time, being the only woman to do so. Listen in as we discuss not knowing what you're capable of until you've actually faced adversity, how we measure ourselves by our own metrics, and how to take the strategies learned from adversity and put them into practice. You can learn more about Heather at unbeatablemind.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. 
To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.